Corner Fringe Ministries presents an in-depth study on the controversial gift of tongues. Please enjoy the study. Well, we are in part two of our Speaking in Tongues series. You know, I originally planned on only spending two weeks on this subject, but uh, unfortunately I'm not going to be able to finish this study in just two weeks. Uh, given the controversial nature of the topic itself and the fact that there is just simply too much information that, uh, that, that needs to be addressed. We're going to have to go one more week. And because of this, I've decided to push the more intense portion of this study into next week's final message. Now, having said that, if you remember last week, we began this study by asking the most basic of all questions concerning the gift of tongues. And that question was this. Is the gift of tongues legitimate? Okay, we go to Scripture, we seek out the truth, right? We, that's where we get truth. It's from Scripture. We seek it out, and if we discover that, wait a second, nope, nope, this gift, this manifestation is a total fabrication of man. Well, that makes for a very short study. We all pack up and we all go home. However, but because we did find, when we went to Acts chapter 2, that this gift was 100% legitimate, well, now we are quickly confronted with another question. And that is this. Is the gift of tongues relevant for today? Now, while Christendom as a whole, you'll find she agrees with the fact that, this, uh, that the event we read about in Acts chapter 2 uh, actually happened. There was a legitimate move of God. Where we find theological differences be, begin to arise is whether or not the gift of tongues was limited to the apostolic age. In other words, limited to the apostles' ministry. So, what we find here is that there are really two camps that are formed within Christendom regarding the, the gift of tongues. One camp rises up and said, wait a second, this gift was limited to the apostolic age. And another camp rises up and says, no, no, no. The gift is relevant for today. The manifestation we should be seeing within the church itself. So, which camp is right? Is the gift of tongues relevant for today? Well, if we allow for Scripture to testify as a witness, we do find that according to scriptural testimony, yes, 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 the gift of tongues is still relevant for today. You know, this the whole idea that somehow the gift of tongues was only for the apostolic age from a scriptural standpoint, you need to understand, it doesn't hold water. And let me explain why. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 2 again, uh, we had l looked at that last week, remember? You'll notice there that Peter, in response to those naysayers who attempted to attribute the outpouring of the Spirit to the consumption of alcohol, you'll notice that Peter quotes them a passage from the prophet Joel. A, a passage that foretold, really, in all reality, about a new covenant. That God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. It would be poured out on his men's servants. It would be poured out on his maidservants. And interestingly enough, within this prophecy, we find an important detail is provided to us concerning a specific, listen to me carefully, a specific timetable of when this spirit was going to be poured out 
So let's go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Again, this is Peter. He's quoting the prophet Yoel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Here's our timetable. Did you catch that? It will come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, here's a newsflash for you. We're in the last days. Look around you. We are in the last days. These days began with the revelation of Yeshua. And guess what? They haven't expired. And it is during this time, the last days, in which we're told the Holy Spirit would be poured out. So to try to take the position that speaking in tongues was limited to the apostolic age, it doesn't hold water because we're still in the last days. We have not entered the kingdom of heaven yet. Mortality hasn't put on immortality. Corruption hasn't put on incorruption. We are living in the last days. Furthermore, if in fact the gift of tongues was supposed to cease upon the expiration of the apostolic age, well then we must also concede that the other gifts of the Spirit have also ended with the expiration of the apostolic age. Gifts such as healings, miracles, prophecy, faith. See, all of these are gifts mentioned along with that in Paul's narrative in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's mentioned with speaking in tongues. Let me just briefly show you. Going to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and I'm just going to read through this quickly. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. I mean, just look at the gifts that are mentioned here in Paul's narrative. I'm going to underline these for you. Gifts such as faith, healings, we have working of miracles, we have prophecy, we have discerning of spirits, and we have speaking in tongues. Let me ask you a question. Was the gift of faith limited to the apostolic age? Was the gift of prophecy, was prophecy supposed to cease upon the, uh, the expiration of the apostolic age? Well, I want you to think about that for a second. If that were a case, well, there's sure a lot of scripture wasted on warning us against the false prophets who were coming. I mean, it's kind of hard to be a false prophet when in fact all the believers of today don't believe that prophecy even exists anymore. See where I'm going with this. So to attempt to say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit such as tongues are not relevant for today you need to understand, it completely contradicts everything we read in Scripture. It contradicts the beauty, the truth of the new covenant. It contradicts real-life experiences that believers in Yeshua have had, even in this generation, with the Holy Spirit. You know, I challenge you to read through the New Testament. Find anywhere, even one passage that tells us that the gifts of the Spirit were only for the days of the apostles. Because guess what? You're not going to find it. The passage doesn't exist. However, having said that, there, there is one passage that has been shown to me to support such a teaching. And I, I do want to show it to you 
uh, for the sake of so that you understand where the, 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 this camp is um, particularly coming from. And, and just to show you this uh, for growth sake, for, for knowledge sake, so that you understand this. And this is a passage that was shown to me, oh, I, this was years ago. But I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. And Paul says here, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Now, the first thing I want to point out here is, what is Paul talking about? He just listed a bunch of gifts of the Spirit. You notice that? Prophecies. He talks about speaking in tongues. And he talks about knowledge. All these are gifts of the Spirit. Okay? Now, we continue in verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So this is a passage that I was shown to, to prove the, the ideology that uh, the gifts of the Spirit were no longer relevant for today, but they were limited to the apostolic age, okay? Because clearly you read verse 10 here, and it says, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. They understand this to mean that these gifts, prophecy and, 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 and tongues, were actually supposed to cease, Okay, this is how they're interpreting this passage. However, when you look at this passage carefully, you read it in context, you realize that Paul is not stating here that these gifts were going to cease with the expiration of the apostolic age. I mean, if you just, if I didn't even go any further in the passage yet, I, I just stuck with this passage. You got a problem because you have to ask yourself, knowledge is one of the gifts mentioned here. Ask yourself, has knowledge ceased? Was knowledge supposed to cease upon the expiration of the apostolic age? Well, that's, that would be ridiculous. Of course not. Actually, if you read further into this passage, you realize that Paul's whole emphasis in this passage is that the gift of prophecies, that the gift of knowledge, the gift of tongues, they're all simply bits and pieces of a very large picture. The picture I'm referring to is none other than the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Paul's timetable for these things to be done away with, it isn't in this age. It isn't during the last days, but rather it is in the age to come. Uh, further proof of this is found just two verses later. Let's go to verse 12, and we read, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. What do you think this is talking about? This is talking about us going, uh, literally meeting the Lord in the air, being caught away with him, and we are going to see him face to face. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we're all going to be changed. Okay? This passage uh, that, that we read here, that we can, as we continue, look at what it says. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Clearly talking about the age to come. You know, in, in first, first John chapter 3, verse 2, he, John says, Beloved, we, uh, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, this is at his coming, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The long and the short of it is, is that nowhere in Scripture will you find anywhere that the gift of tongues was only for the apostolic time period. 
Thus, without question, the gift is relevant for today. Just as prophecy is relevant for today, just as faith is relevant for today, just as healings are relevant for today. Now, having said that, we are prompted to answer another question since we know that the gift of tongues is legitimate and the gift of tongues is in fact relevant, we're now confronted to, with, with the next question, which is can someone have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and not speak in tongues? This is, this is really the million-dollar question in this series, this, this, this mini-study, if you will. Is it possible for someone to have the Holy Spirit in them and yet not to manifest the gift of tongues. Well, let me say this. You're, 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 you know, your typical Pentecostal or spirit-filled uh, believer will oftentimes take the position that speaking in tongues is in fact legitimate proof that you have received the Holy Spirit. Now, with, with that statement, I have no problem, and I concur 100%. The problem comes in is, when they start uh, indicating that absence of such a manifestation, that, that meaning uh, speaking in tongues, would suggest absence of the Holy Spirit. This is where we have a problem. And hence you can see the reason why we find so many churches today placing, placing such a heavy emphasis upon speaking in tongues. Now, to support their position... Those who, in, in other words, those who sit in this camp, they're going to most likely take you to three pas uh, specific passages. In, they're all found in the book of Acts. Passages that I grew up on. You know, again, going back to my, my Pentecostal roots, my, my background. Um, these were passages I grew up on, I knew quite well. One of which we've already covered, meaning Acts chapter 2 where we find indisputably the Holy Spirit comes down upon the disciples in Yeshua, and as a result of this, we're told they spoke in tongues. No question. But there's another passage that they'll be sure to present to you, and this passage is found in Acts chapter 10, where we find that a, a specific Gentile by the name of Cornelius, he calls for the apostle Peter to come to his house, and to make a long story short, Peter agrees to go to his house, uh, with some serious encouragement from the Lord after seeing that vision of the sheet drop down three times. So Peter comes to Cornelius' house. His family had gathered. He had friends gathered there to, to hear the gospel. And, and, and so Peter, as he's sharing the gospel, listen to what happens. Acts 10, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now, what was the effect of the Holy Spirit coming upon these Gentiles? Why were those of the circumcision astonished? How did they know that the Holy Spirit fell upon them? Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So, in this particular event, what was the proof or evidence that these Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit? 
It was the gift of tongues. This was clear. Indisputable proof. These Jewish men who accompanied Peter heard with their own ears these Gentiles speaking in tongues. This was the result of the Spirit coming upon them. Now, I do think it is important to point something out to you regarding both of these events. And I'm referring to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10. That is this. The gift of tongues that are spoken in both circumstances were legitimate languages. They were not fleeting babblings of nonsense. Those who witnessed the events understood what these men were saying. And this is made abundantly clear in Acts chapter 2, as we saw that as all these Jews that are gathered from the diaspora uh, had, had, had gathered in Jerusalem for Shavuot, and they all heard the wonderful works of the living God in their own language. Acts chapter 10, we see the very same thing going on, where we see these Jewish believers, they weren't looking around at each other wondering what these crazy Gentiles were doing. The text is clear. These Jewish believers witnessed the Gentiles magnifying God. In other words, they understood exactly what these Gentiles were saying. They would, have have, they would, they would not have had any idea whatsoever that they were magnifying God unless they understood the words they were speaking. This is a critical component to point out when attempting to truly understand the gift of tongues and how it is supposed to be used and how it, how it is received, the effects of the manifestation, the effects it has on its recipients. Make no mistake, the gift of tongues, whether it be tongues of men or tongues of angels, as, as Paul um, notes in, in uh, the first verse in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, understand it's a legitimate language. Whether t uh, uh, tongues of men or tongues of angels, it is legitimate. The authentic manifestation of the gift of the Holy Spirit is not some concocted, gibbering nonsense. So thus far, we have now two events where we have witnessed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, we find that those who received the Holy Spirit, yes, the manifestation clearly is they spoke in tongues. Okay? But it was an intellig intelligible language that was not of their own. This was not native for them. Now, with that said, let me take you to the 19th chapter of Acts because here, again, we're going to see the effects of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We'll begin in verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard as whether there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 3, he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Messiah Yeshua. Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Yeshua. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, the men were about 12 in all. So, we look in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit's poured out. What's the effect? The men speak in tongues. We go to Acts chapter 10, Holy Spirit is poured out upon the men. What happens upon these Gentiles? They speak in tongues. 
And we come to Acts chapter 19. We find the Holy Spirit's poured out. What's the effect? They speak in tongues. Okay? Clearly, we see that tongues is a product of the Holy Spirit. Scripturally speaking, this is undeniable. Now, having said that, I do want to point out a couple things regarding this event recorded here in Acts chapter 19 that make this event unique from the other two events. Okay, what, what took place in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. Number one, in this event we find that Paul lays hands on these men and then we're told that the Holy Spirit uh, had come upon them and they spoke with tongues. Whereas if you remember in the other two manifestations, we found there was no laying on of hands. It simply happened. In Acts chapter 2, we're told that the disciples, they're all in one accord in one place on Shavuot. And what happened? The Spirit just came down upon them and they began to, to speak in tongues. And in, and in the 10th chapter of, of Acts, we're told that Peter is speaking to the house of Cornelius. He is sharing the gospel. And as he's sharing the gospel, what happens? The Spirit of God falls upon these men, these Gentiles. But here in Acts chapter 19, we're told that the Spirit fell when Paul laid hands on them. Why am I pointing this out? I only make note of this so as that you do not box in or compartmentalize how the Spirit of God moves or is poured out upon man. In other words, it isn't necessarily done with the laying on of hands. It can certainly happen upon uh, men laying uh, on hands on, on upon another, but it's not required. In, in other words, don't formulize how this Holy Spirit is going to move. And in, in your mind thinking, well, the Holy Spirit can only be given to someone if we go, the leaders of the congregation, they come out and they lay hands on them. Because that's simply not true. I mean, we have enough evidence in Scripture to, to state to the contrary. You need to understand the Spirit of God is poured out as the Spirit wills. This is the, the, the will of God moving in power. But, but again, this is not to say that we, we shouldn't lay hands on people. Laying hands on people is, is very scriptural, very powerful, and we see that there's always a transference of spirit when uh, uh, um, men lay hands on one another. Um, the blessings of the Father to the Son. We could see with Moses laying his hands upon uh, Yehoshua, Joshua, transferring some of the spirit that he had upon him. So there's clear evidence of the power of this laying on of hands. My simple point that I'm just trying to make here, I'm going a long way to do this, is don't formulize how this manifestation is going to take place. It's going to take place how the Lord wills it. Amen? The other thing that I want to point out here that's, that's worth pointing out, and I'm not going to get into the details of this. We'll get into this more in, in, in next week. But in this event, in Acts chapter 19, we find these men didn't just speak with tongues. This is fascinating. We're also told that they prophesied. Very powerful. And what you're going to see as we get into next week, there is a unique relationship uh, between these two gifts. So, in Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts chapter 19, we find that in each case, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit produced the manifestation of speaking in tongues. Now, having looked at these three events, these manifestations, I want to go back to our question. 
The question is this, can someone have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and not speak in tongues? Well, I want to take you back to the Apostle Paul's commentary on, on, on the gifts of the Spirit and see what he has to say in regard to this. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse 4. And he says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministry, uh, ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Do you see what Paul's doing here? We're talking about the diversity of gifts, the, the distribution of these gifts, not to the same person, to different, to different people throughout the body. Okay, to, to one is faith by the same Spirit, to, to another gift of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing, listen to this, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Notice it's not our will, it is the will of God. It is the will of the Spirit. Now, as Paul moves on into chapter 14, he's going to move on in a very Pauline-like manner, okay? He's going to bring this narrative, he's going to take what he has just taught us, and he's going to bring it in the physical realm. In other words, he's going to take what he's just taught us and create an analogy, an analogy that we can better identify with to gain perspective, to gain understanding on what it is he is really trying to teach us here. Look at what he does because uh, he just went through the gifts of the Spirit plainly. Well, now he's going to go through these things, teach us these very things again, but in a metaphorical realm. He says in verse 14, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Wow. Did you, you see what he just did? Okay, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? You need to understand, Paul is referring to the gifts of the Spirit here. He's likening the different gifts of the Spirit to different body parts of the body. Okay, we have a foot, we have a hand. He's referring that these are different gifts. And we continue in verse 16. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? In other words, understand this. If I don't speak in tongues, it doesn't mean I'm not of the body. If I don't prophesy, it doesn't mean I'm not of the body. Maybe the Spirit has bestowed a different gift, such as this, the ability to discern spirits or some other gifts, perhaps a gifts of healing. Okay? We continue in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, in other words, the whole body, every person in the body was given the same gift. This is what Paul is dealing with here. If the whole body were an eye, well, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Okay, so think of it this way. If the whole body were to speak in tongues, where would be the hearing? Or if the whole body prophesied, where would be the smelling? Verse 18, 
He goes on. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. In other words, there are many different gifts distributed to different people. And yet, it is the same Lord. It is the same Spirit who distributes this. And there is one body. We all work together uh, in on this. Now, jumping ahead to verse 29, Paul says, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And clearly, you, you, I, I hope you notice here that these are all rhetorical questions. Okay? Paul is clearly saying, we don't all have gifts of healings. We don't all have gifts of tongues. We don't all have gifts of prophecy. And yet, what happens? Yet we find there are some movements out there that place all their emphasis oh, on one gift. The, 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 the gift of tongues. So, the conclusion is this. Just because the Holy Spirit is poured out, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will speak in tongues. Nor does the absence of the gift suggest that the, that the absence of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit isn't in you. And a perfect example of this is actually found in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And we read, Now the Lord looked on their threat. Uh, now, Lord, Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Yeshua. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with all boldness. Fascinating. Here we see uh, the Spirit of God is poured out on uh, the disciples. But there's no manifestation of tongues being recorded here. But rather, we're told, what was, what was the effects of the outpouring of the Spirit? It, they were given boldness to speak the Word of God. So, getting back to our question again, can someone have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and not speak in tongues? The answer is yes. Yes, you can have the Holy Spirit, and perhaps you're not given that gift. Which leads us to, to, to ask another question. Since we know that the gift is legitimate, we know the gift is relevant, and we now know that not everyone has the Spirit of God, that who has the Spirit of God will necessarily possess the gift, we need to now address the following. Is there such a thing as a counterfeit form of speaking in tongues? And this is, a hard, this is a hard question for some people to be confronted with. Is there such a thing as a counterfeit form of speaking in tongues? The reality of this is, unfortunately, there is. You know, and this shouldn't be surprising. If there's false teachings, why, why would we not think that there's going to be a counterfeit form of tongues? If there's a counterfeit form of prophecy... Why would we actually believe there wouldn't be a counterfeit form of tongues? You know, Paul, Apostle Paul, he labored so fervently. He did not cease to warn us that deception was coming to the church. And, and, and he warned that the church was going to be infiltrated. 
that our walls would be breached, that there would be serious casualties within the church. We go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Listen to what he says. He says, evil men and imposters. What is an imposter? Someone who is a counterfeit of the authentic. He is among the authentic, but he is not one of them. He is an imposter. He's playing off uh, as, as a true and authentic believer. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, isn't that great? Not only are there going to be imposters that are going to infiltrate the church, we're told they're going to get worse and worse. What do they do? Well, they go out deceiving, and they themselves are deceived. Going into the in a couple verses later in, into chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who's they? These are individuals within the body. These are individuals within the church. They, there's coming a time that they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. And we have a serious problem here because these are men, according to their own desires, to say these are men given to their own passions, their own emotions. Okay? But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Understand this. We are living in the last days. We are living in days where men are not enduring sound doctrine. They have succumbed to their emotions. They have yielded to those who speak things contrary to Scripture. They have given themselves over to those who have turned, uh, who have turned them away from the truth. And they've embraced doctrines of demons. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, we're living in these days, some will depart from the faith. Well, where were they? They were in the body. They were in the body of the Mashiach. They will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul tells us that in the last days, believers are going to be seduced. They're going to be seduced by deceiving spirits, spirits who sow perversion within the body to lure people away from the truth, tantalizing things that they love to taste. Let me read to you how the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines, describes the gift of tongues. It is a terrifying and yet enlightening read. This is how they define the, the speaking in tongues. The ecstatic phenomenon traditionally associated with religious experiences, it has been practiced through the ages in various religious settings, both Christian and non-Christian by individuals in private, as well as by whole communities. Now, before we go on, I just want to point out here, your f red flags should be going off here for you. This is terrifying. Did you catch what was just said here? This is something, speaking in tongues is something that has been practiced uh, throughout the ages in various religious settings, both Christian and non-Christian. This is a little terrifying. Now listen, as we continue, this is what they go on to say, how they define this. 
When the Apostle Paul mentions the use of tongues being a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, he refers to a view that was commonly held among the practitioners of ancient pagan religions, according to which glossolalia was a sign of the active presence of the gods. Thus, whenever the oracle Delphi became inspired, she would speak in tongues as evidence of supernatural illumination. This interpretation of glossolalia as divine activity has been accepted by practitioners as diverse as medieval mystics, Huguenots, or some people like to say Huguenot, sectarians, and oriental religionists such as the Muslim dervishes. Frightening information given here regarding the gift of tongues to find out that glossolalia is not exclusive to Christianity, but rather is something that ancient pagan religions have practiced. This is a sobering thought. The pagans, such as the Oracle of Delphi, literally would speak in an unintelligible language. I want you to hear that very carefully. It would speak in an unintelligible language, a nonsensical babbling that was never meant to be understood. It's the pagan format. Why would pagans do this? Why would they worship their gods in such a way? I mean, why would they speak in an unintelligible language? They did it so as to prove their spirituality. The very act showed a supernatural illumination. It testified of the presence of their gods. Might Satan want to infiltrate that which is holy and authentic by introducing that which is pagan? I mean, might Satan want to produce on a mass scale a counterfeit to that which is authentic? Might he want to turn church services into festivals, paying homage, not to Yeshua, but rather to Delphi, to demons? Might this be something that Satan wants to do? My goodness, yes, yes, yes. Just go back to, to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that Satan comes as an angel of light. And what are his ministers? His little demons, they are ministers of righteousness. Let me share with you how some believers might fall into Satan's trap of embracing a counterfeit, uh, the, a counterfeit form of tongues, unintelligible babblings where where uh, no one has a clue what is actually being said. These are not legitimate languages, whether tongues of men or tongues of angels. And this is something that I personally have perceived over the years, especially coming from this background. Number one, people fall into this trap. They do it because they want to look spiritual. In other words, they're doing it for glory. I mean, we, we, we have to be real with one another. There are some people who are driven. This is just how, this is their, their modus operandi. They are driven to elevate themselves among their peers. And therefore, to show just how spiritual they are, they begin to falsely manifest the gift of tongues. They want everyone to look at them. They want to be admired they want to be exalted. This is a very scary scenario because really what you're doing uh, when, when, you're, when you have, when you struggle with issues of pride, you're giving a Satan a whole world to work with. 
You're giving him all the tools necessary that he needs to destroy you and to destroy the church. Because this is the very attribute that got him cast out of the kingdom. He had exalted himself. He wanted to be admired. He wanted worship. He wanted to be God. And it's carrying this attribute where you'll find that people, they fall into the trap. They want to look spiritual. They want to be exalted. So they start falsely manifesting the gift of tongues. Let me give you another reason how people fall in this trap. People do it because of peer pressure. They become a product of their environment. You know, as people come into certain communities, um, given the fact that all the emphasis is in fact placed upon the gift of tongues, there's a lot of pressure put on those newcomers who are coming into the faith, whether they're going to youth group or whether they're coming to the main service. There's, there, there's a lot of pressure that's put on them uh, to receive the gift of tongues. And again, why is there such a heavy emphasis placed upon this in some circles? Because this is the very evidence that you're saved, that you have the Holy Spirit, the seal of the living God being placed upon you. All right? So, as they come in, they cave, they cave in to peer pressure. They wouldn't necessarily have had, had moved in this direction had it not been for some very strong influence. And, you know, I, it's a frightening thing to, to witness because a lot of people come in with good intentions to a, a lot of these communities and they're just seeking more of God. They want more of Him. And the leaders come in and they really put the pressure that this is the, this is the direction that they need to go. This is their focus. This is what they need to focus on. And because of that, they fall into this false manifestation of tongues. I'm not talking about here authentic gifts here. I'm talking about this is how people fall into the counterfeit form of falsely manifesting the gift of tongues. Let me give you another reason why people fall into a counterfeit. Uh, they do it because they've been taught to do it. And, 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 and we have to ask the question, do you, do you believe that tongues can be taught? You need to understand tongues, the gift of tongues cannot be taught. It is a gift. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. This is not a product of man. This is not a product of flesh. This is solely a product of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming upon you and moving through you. This has nothing to do with the flesh. Men cannot teach other men or women other women the gift of tongues. However, I grew up in an environment where I, I witnessed time after time people coming into the church, people bringing new people under their wings and teaching them how to speak in tongues. You know, I saw a lot of this going on. I would watch as the spiritual leaders in the community, they would begin to instruct others how to loose one's mouth and just speak unintelligibly. And it really becomes a sight when that same person asks the person they are teaching to just repeat after them some gibbering nonsense, and to hear them try to mumble this gibbering nonsense back to them, I got to tell you, it's a real sight. You know, I have, I have witnessed the very thing happening right here in our very own community. You know, uh, we had a guy come in off the street, seemed nice enough, he, he seemed to enjoy the worship service, 
And, uh, and after every service, as everyone knows, we all gather for fellowship and food, what we call omnig, and uh, some people would refer it to uh, as, as potluck. Well, fortunately, we have a visitor's table set up, and, and this individual got to sit at the visitor's table, and, and I was there with, with, with another visitor, and this gentleman was sitting across the table from me. And I'm talking to another visitor, and one of my congregants is spending time with this gentleman who came off the road. As I'm having a conversation with another visitor, I, I start to hear some things that are a little troubling and out of my one ear. And I, I, started to take, I started immediately having two conversations at once, if you will, listening to both of these uh, visitors at once. And uh, then, then I had to turn my full, uh, full concentration and, uh, on this one particular individual as I witnessed him, literally, and I am not making this up, ask my congregant, this congregant, uh, if in fact he had the Holy Spirit. His, of course, his response was, yeah, I do have the, the Holy Spirit. And uh, he said his next question was, was well, do you speak in tongues? And he said, well, no. And he said, well, put out your fingertips. So he puts his hands over. It almost looked like, a, like he was performing a seance. Tells him to flip his hands over. He starts, he goes, give me your fingertips. And he starts uh, doing something totally bizarre with his fingertips. And he goes, repeat after me. And he starts literally uh, unleashing some babbling gibberish nonsense. At which point I immediately halted what he was doing. I said, stop what you're doing right there. Don't move. I'm going to get my Bible. I wasn't gone uh, uh, two minutes. I was already back up. And this gentleman had already left. And this is a terrifying thing to, to actually witness, uh, this false manifestation that men believe that this gift, this gift of speaking in tongues is a product of flesh. It is not a product of flesh. It is a product of the Spirit. It is nothing you can do uh, to do it, but it is the Spirit of God flowing freely through you, through your mouth, giving you the words to speak. Just like Yeshua tells us, even, even in the English, when his disciples, he told them not to worry when you're brought before governors and kings, that uh, don't worry about the words that you're going to speak because the Spirit of God is going to speak through them at that time and testify. It's no different with the gift of tongues. It is no different with the gift of prophecy. Let me give you another reason why how people fall into this trap. They do it simply because they become impatient. They're, they're tired of waiting. Therefore, they falsely manifest it of their own accord. You know, they're looking around, they come in, and, and, and they're praying for the gift of tongues. I mean, and again, this is something I've witnessed, you guys. I've seen this happen. And this is not just one or two cases where people are longing for this gift. Why? Because all their peers apparently have the gift. All these other people who are in their sphere, who are spiritual people in their communities, they're all speaking in tongues, and they're not doing it. And because they haven't been given it, they begin to falsely manifested. They become impatient. They're tired of waiting for the gift to truly and authentically be given them so that they just go ahead without them. And I'm, I'm telling you this because I've had people confide in me telling me they have done this. Let me say this. 
do not move unless you are moved. Psalm 46.10 is so powerful. Be still and know that I am God. You know, I love that story. In, in Exodus 33, Moses, he tells the Lord that if his presence doesn't go with him, then don't take us out of this place. Moses wouldn't move unless God was with him. That is a man of God. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's another story that uh, given this, uh, how people fall into this counterfeit form of becoming impatient. There's a, there's a story that might be of interest to you regarding forcing the will of God, acting on your own accord, and, and it's the story of Saul. If we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8, we read, You shall go down before me to Gilgal. This is, this is uh, Samuel speaking to Saul. Okay, You're, Saul, you need to go down before me to Gilgal. And, and Samuel goes on and says, And surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Jumping ahead to chapter 13, verse 8. Then Saul waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But when Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him, so Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. Verse 11. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgah and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. This is terrifying. Saul felt compelled to honor God according to his own heart. He was given to his own emotion and decided to honor God according to his own feelings rather than what was commanded of him. He was commanded to wait until Samuel came. And yet he became impatient. He did not wait. Jumping ahead uh, to or going forward to verse 13, we read, Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom uh, over Israel forever. Understand something here. With Saul's impatience, with Saul taking matters into his own hands, he lost the inheritance of the kingdom because he felt compelled to honor the Lord in the way that he saw fit because he couldn't wait any longer. It cost him the kingdom. I will close with this statement. We as believers must be careful. We do not fall into that same trap, into the trap of of moving without being moved by the Holy Spirit. With that said, you can show up. Thank you.